On this episode of Blue 58, we approach a position group that's tougher to evaluate than any other. Offensive line. How do you make sense of this year's group of linemen? Should you even try? Well, let's figure it out together. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here as we dive deeper into this year's draft class. As you heard up top, we're talking offensive line this time around. And as you may be familiar from the last episode, we're doing things a little bit different with our pre-draft stuff this year. We used to kind of do everything in one big fell swoop based mainly around athletic fits. Since the Packers have some pretty uh, well-established tendencies at specific positions. I think it can make sense to do things that way, but everybody kind of does things that way now. So I thought it would make a little bit more sense to kind of get a cross section of each position group. We're going to do that by looking at who we think are the best fits, the worst fits, the sleepers, the small school standouts, and the wild cards at each position group. And this time around, we're going to be doing offensive line. We base a lot of this stuff too around uh, Dane Brugler of the Athletics Top 100 Prospects, as well as his Top 40 Small School Prospects as well. Before we dive into this year's group of athletes in particular, I think it's important, especially especially for the offensive line, to talk a little bit about the philosophy here. For the Packers, for us as fans, and people who talk about this sort of stuff, I think we need to figure out what exactly the Packers need to do, if anything, and how they might approach doing that kind of thing. And I want to say there should be some caveats here. Um, I am not an offensive line expert. I'm not an expert on any particular position in general. I'm kind of a football generalist, I guess. Um, I don't have in-depth position experience at, at any one group, even tight end, which I played for a time. The offensive line, though, is an entirely different animal. It's hard to get right at the NFL level, or at any level, because there are just so many factors that go into how a guy plays in particular. For one thing, you've got all of the stuff uh, that the offense is doing, all the factors that they have to sort through as they make their pre-draft or pre-play adjustments. You've got your protection scheme, your run-blocking fits, And if you're in a zone blocking scheme, all of those things are multiplied because everything is dependent on the guys next to you. So if one guy, even on the far side of the line, messes things up, it could affect your job, the way things are working for you on your side of the line. And you may end up getting blamed for something that is not your fault at all. Then you've got the aspect that, especially in pass blocking, a lot of what you're doing is reactive. Whereas running backs and wide receivers... And quarterbacks are all kind of imposing their will on the defense. Offensive linemen, even though they are nominally the attacking group, still largely have to base what they do on reactions to other people. There's a lot of things that are out of their control. So it's hard to get a specific read on a specific guy unless you really take the time and drill down into his background, how he approaches the game, his physical attributes, and things like that. You've got to do a lot, a lot more research and a lot more film study on an offensive lineman to get a feel for the kind of player he is versus another position group. Even at 
at many other positions. I think you can look at a handful of plays, maybe even just an entire game, and have a pretty good idea what kind of a player a person can be at their best. And this is where looking at highlight tapes can actually be instructive. You can get a pretty good feel, I think, for the kind of player a guy is just by looking at his highlights. For instance, last year, looking at Marquez Valdez-Scantling for the Packers, you could fairly reasonably guess or come to a a relatively well-informed understanding that he was going to be a guy who relied in large part on his athleticism. Uh, He was going to make a lot of deep plays deep down the field, big plays deep down the field, but he may struggle a little bit with route running. How do you know that? Well, almost all of his highlights were drag routes or deep shots. Routes that were entirely dependent on him just being faster than everybody else. And lo and behold, with the Packers, most of his success came on those deep balls or routes where it was pretty much up to his speed to get him open. Now, he did develop a lot as a route runner, but your early impressions of a guy like Valdez Scantling were pretty much on. You can't do stuff like that with the offensive line. But that having been said, if you watch enough snaps of a group together, you can get a pretty general feeling, pretty good general feeling, and a pretty accurate general feeling of who plays well and who isn't. And that's especially doable in the NFL when you've only got like eight or so guys to think about. I think most people who do the sort of things that I do, podcast, blog, stuff like that, have a pretty accurate understanding about who's good and bad on the Packers' offensive line. Even most fans who are just watching games on Sundays and reading the box score and stuff like that, I think they have a pretty pretty fair understanding of who's good and who's bad, with some exceptions. Brian Bulaga is one that's been an exception to that rule for years. A lot of people just hate him um, because he's injured a lot or dinged up a lot or whatever. I'm not interested in debating the the particulars of that argument here. But, you know, all that to say, uh, you can probably get a pretty good feel of what the offensive line is like. So with those limitations, how do you think about guys going into the draft? Well, I think a couple broad strokes. You do have the Packers' athletic thresholds that they look for. And I think something you should pay, or a few things you should pay particular attention to are explosiveness and agility. Explosiveness, you should probably be looking at broad jump and vertical leap. I mean, no matter your athleticism elsewhere, if you're 300 pounds and you can put up a broad jump that's near the top of your uh, position group relative to other guys who are that big, that says quite a bit about what kind of athlete you are. The same with the the vertical leap. And with agility, that's offensive lineman's bread and butter. 40-yard dash, not so much, but moving in short areas, things like that, side-to-side quickness, super important for reasons that should be fairly obvious. So you can narrow things down a little bit from there. On top of that, for the Packers here, we've got a pretty clear sort of description, the kind of linemen that they're looking for based on the scheme they're going to be running. Matt LaFleur has been pretty clear about his preference for an outside zone-based running scheme. So if you're looking at scouting reports and things like that, I would look for those two words. Do guys have experience with outside zone type blocking? 
From there, you can also start narrowing down a few physical characteristics that may be of interest to the Packers. They have tended to draft short-ish tackles relative to other tackles in their offensive line cohort because that allows them to convert them fairly readily to guards. The Packers have a long-standing preference for taking college tackles, both left and right, and turning them into guards in the NFL. Josh Sitton played tackle. TJ Lang played tackle. Lane Taylor is the exception. He's one of the only guards that they have in recent memory who didn't really have experience at tackle in college. But Cole Madison is up there. And there's even been talk about guys like Brian Bulaga switching to guard long term. There was not so much to talk about that when he was coming out of college, but as he's aged, there's been stuff like that. Because guard, you don't have to play so much in space as you do as tackle. It's changed a little bit over the past two years just with uh, the increasing preference uh, of offenses throughout the league to to throw the ball all the time. But in large part, the skill set you need at guard is less athleticism or moving in space based than, than tackle. So the Packers have taken those guys, those tackles, who may be not quite as athletic or big enough or long enough to play tackle at the NFL level and turn them into guards. You can identify some of those guys just by looking looking at uh, those shorter, those tackles that are on the shorter end. I think it's also fair to ask at this point if it may not be just a better decision to draft a guard. Why not just draft a guard? If you've got a guy who succeeded at guard in college, why not stick him at guard in the NFL? I think that's a fair question, and I kind of wish somebody would ask Brian Gutekunst that question, given the the way that the Packers have done things in the past, because they haven't just straight up drafted a guard in quite a while. You may also want to think about the Packers drafting a guy who's maybe just a straight up tackle this year. If they're thinking that Billy Turner is going to be their starting right guard, it could also fill in at tackle and if needed, you still probably need some depth at tackle. Because if Brian Bulaga, for example, goes down and Billy Turner kicks out to right tackle, you've really only solved half a problem because you've still got to fill in at guard then. You're right back where you were being down a starting offensive lineman. Maybe the Packers would be better served this year to just straight up draft a tackle early, late, wherever, and just try to cultivate some depth that way. The only thing the Packers probably don't need to draft is a center. With Corey Lindsley starting every game, every playing every snap, you probably just don't need to draft one, but you do need to figure out who your top backup is going to be. And this is something that I feel like I've harped on a lot over the last couple of years. Ever since J.C. Treader left, the Packers have never really been super stable at backup center. And it's been really great that Corey Lindsley hasn't really been hurt at all in that stretch. Because the Packers would probably have been in a little bit of trouble. So, to, to recap. You can identify some of the players the Packers might be interested in by looking at that athletic thresholds, that's not the be-all, end-all. The Packers should probably be thinking both guard and tackle, probably guard ahead of tackle, but it couldn't hurt to draft a tackle. Think about outside zone, look for explosiveness. Sound good? Good. Those are the, the sort of broad strokes type things 
that you should be aware of. Let's talk about a few actual guys, starting with the guy I think is the best fit for the Packers, Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College. He is, again, on the shorter side, 6'3", 308, not super big for alignment at any particular position. But he hits all the Packers' athletic thresholds, and he played tackle and guard already. He is thought of more as a pure guard type by just about everybody who talks about him. Let's turn to Mr. Mr. Brugler of The Athletic. And I quote, Somewhat of a late bloomer, Lindstrom weighed only 235 pounds out of high school and showed steady development the past four seasons, dominating ACC talent as a senior. He is a stout pass protector on the interior, quickly understanding angles and staying square to defenders. He has the competitive juices, quicks, and hand strengths desired for the position. And he continues with all a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter. I think Lindstrom is intriguing because he is really more of a pure guard prospect than really anybody who's been projected to the Packers. Even though he can play tackle and has, I think you have to think of him almost purely as a guard at the NFL level just because of his size, and that's fine. The downside of drafting Lindstrom, even though he does fit what the Packers do, is he doesn't fill an immediate need. As nice as it is to have depth at every offensive line position, center included, as we've already laid out, drafting for depth at the sort of level of the draft that you have to take Lindstrom to get him, probably early second to mid-second or so, is not maybe the best use of resources for the Packers right now. So despite the fact that he is the best fit, it may be hard for the Packers to justify taking him. And that's where it really comes down to the best available player sort of question. What does best available player actually mean? I think you can play it a couple different ways depending on what you actually want to draft. You can say that a guy is the best available player because, well, he's at the top of your board. You actually evaluate him as the best player who is available still in the draft. But I think it can also be true that the best available player is the person who fits your needs the best. For you, that is the best person available. It may not make sense to take a a player at a position where you're already stocked when you've got obvious needs elsewhere. And I realize that can get you in trouble, but sometimes you just don't need to overthink things. If you need an offensive lineman, but the best best player on the board is a, a cornerback and you've got six good corners already, it would be foolish to take the offensive lineman just because the corner is rated better. Or just it would be foolish to take the corner just if you have him rated better. I think you understand what I'm trying to say there. The Packers are going to have to weigh that if Lindstrom is on the board. As good as he is and as well as he fits their athletic profiles and you know with the background he has, there doesn't seem to be like an immediate role available for him right now. And that could be a little bit of a problem, especially with those first three picks. 12, 30, and 44 are key picks for the Packers. And one of those, probably 30 or 44, is what they'd have to use on Lindstrom if they wanted to get him. Is that the best use of resources for the Packers right now? That's a a tough question, one I am not prepared to answer. Worst fit is an interesting case study. And that's how we use this slot when we talked about edge rushers. I would like to posit that Dennis Daly of South Carolina is the worst fit for the Packers. He tested at just the 14th percentile in the spark score, uh, kind of pioneered by Nike. Basically, that means he's a really terrible athlete. He does not test well at at all. So why does he still get a little bit of attention in the draft? Well, he's not considered a 
high-end prospect by any means. But what he is is big, uh, six foot five, six foot six, depending on where you where you look at the numbers. Anywhere from 317 pounds to the mid to upper 320s. Big dude, but a good example of size getting you far, but not necessarily being everything. Daly started his college career at Georgia Military College, a junior college with 8,200 students enrolled. He ended up at South Carolina where he played a lot but didn't play particularly well. And the thing that always comes up in every profile of Dennis Daly is that he really struggled with Josh Allen of Kentucky. Had a bad afternoon. Allen finished his his matchup against South Carolina with three sacks, some or all of which could have been charged to Daly, depending on how you count. And, of course, Daly knows this. He says, uh, as per the draftnetwork.com, quote, facing Josh Allen, I guess I put it in the back of my head that I never wanted to feel that way again. I kind of took my preparation to another level because I didn't ever want to go through that again, end quote. I can blame him. I gave up one sack. That would be pretty embarrassing. Three on a single day. Not super great. But even if he doesn't perform pretty uh, particularly well against top-end competition in college, people just are enamored with his size. You look at almost any scouting report on Dennis Daly, and one of the first things that they'll mention is that he's big. NFL.com, the number one listed strength for Dennis Daly, is broad chest with long arms and big hands. Who cares? NFLDraftBlitz.com, has good size with a frame to get bigger, huge wingspan. Who cares? If he can't block, it doesn't matter how big he is. I guess maybe it just takes people a longer time to run around him on the way to the quarterback. If you can't block, it doesn't really matter how big you are. Just ask Will Whitaker of the Packers, an enormous guard they had way back in 2005, but he couldn't block a lick and he was out of the league in a year. They just basically had to throw him out there because they had nobody else that they could put into that spot. There is my rant about uh, about size not being everything. And I say that as a guy who is, you know, six feet, five inches tall. It's not everything. Makes it pretty difficult to find pants. If you find a, a, a good pair of jeans, you might as well buy six of them. Because if you can't, if when you need them, you're never going to be able to find them. And I'm going to have to buy a pair of jeans here before too long. Right? Note to self. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about sleepers. I like Joshua Miles, a swing kind of guard tackle player out of Morgan State. You know, this could also fall under best small school player, but I've got kind of a fun one there. Um, I like Joshua Miles because he's on the bigger side for a guard, but still a little bit on the smaller side for a tackle. Six foot five, 314 pounds, but really long arms, 35 and 5 eighth inches. That's some good wingspan. And he did pretty well in the explosion-related drills that I talked about earlier. Joshua Miles is one of just two players out of the 140 whom Dane Brugler profiled for the athletic, who he identifies as a multi-position player, of the offensive lineman, that is. So what makes him a sleeper? And like I said, also a small school. Well, Mr. Miles missed all of 2017, what would have been his senior season due to academic issues. It's not really clear if it was his fault or the school's fault, but he was academically ineligible for 2017. Got everything straightened out, came back and had a good senior season, but one has to think having a year less of game film hurts him a little bit and makes the evaluation a little bit tougher. Couple that with the... I I think that's almost as big a red flag to me as some of the other stuff that gets thrown up. You know, you talk about not loving football or stuff like that. I'm I'm not talking like the 
they got in a fight off campus or, you know, got a, a DUI or something like that. Those are obviously an entirely different kind of red flag. But it, no college football player should ever be academically ineligible. That's an IQ test as much as anything. Do you understand how this game works? Do you know how to get the grades that you need to to stay eligible to play football? Because at, at almost any school where you are going to be playing football at a level where you have a shot at the NFL, they will help you help almost in air quotes there. They will do what it takes to make sure that you get those grades sorted out so that you can continue to play football. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. If you are in such bad shape, whether it's the school's fault or your fault, that you are academically ineligible, I have to wonder how prepared you are to be an NFL football player. That may be a little bit unfair, but I don't think it's super unfair. Get it figured out. That's that's a pretty basic thing. Unexpected rant about academics. Let's continue talking about small school guys. Trey Pipkins of the University of Sioux Falls is an intriguing prospect. Six foot six, 309 pounds. Why is that interesting? Well, I need you to understand how small of a school the University of Sioux Falls is. I played NAIA football for one season. And one of the teams we played against was the University of Sioux Falls. That is how small a school they are. Out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. Sioux Falls was our rival when I played football. They were the rival in the sort of way that the team that beats you all the time is your rival. They were our rival. I'm not sure we were theirs. The University of Sioux Falls was uniformly unpleasant to Northwestern College, and some other people weren't the nicest in the world either. So while Trey Pipkin seems like a really nice guy, and if you read about his uh, his work with, with charities up in, up in Minnesota near his hometown of Apple Valley, he seems like a real good guy, and it's just unfortunate that I am obligated to root against him because he went to such a terrible place like Sioux Falls. I kid, but still, small red flag. Interesting guy, because if you are good enough to get noticed by the NFL playing at the University of Sioux Falls, you must be pretty darn good. And uh, again, it's it's the it's the sort of size related thing though that that gets him noticed. He's a big, tall guy who may not have filled out all the way yet, but he is good enough and plays well enough against his level of competition that he still gets the attention. I think there's something to that. He played relatively well at the East-West Shrine game and has good reviews coming out of that. But I wonder if he ends up being kind of like a, a Kofi Amici type. Big, tall, long, athletic guy who didn't necessarily play against the highest level of competition. So maybe you just stick him into an area like a guard where he doesn't have as much to worry about. And you just let him sort of figure out what it's like being an NFL player. The issue with that is Pipkins is probably better than Kofi Amici. And part of the reason that the Packers could do what they did when they took Mr. Amici out of um, USF in the seventh round is that he was just that, a seventh round prospect. 
you can fool around with trying to let him figure it out for a year or two when he's just a seventh-round guy. Pipkins, by some, is projected to go much higher than that. And that makes the lottery pick aspect of this a little bit more tenuous. It's one thing to buy a dollar scratch-off ticket. It's another thing to buy a $100 scratch-off ticket. I don't know if such things exist, but I think you understand what I'm saying. You've got to invest resources in a guy that hasn't played against high-level competition and whose background may not equip him to succeed at the next level. How much do you really want to invest there? I think that's a fair question. Finally, the wild card. Probably the most fun offensive line prospect in the entire NFL draft. Who is it? Yelda Froholt. Out of Arkansas. Six foot four and a half, 306 pounds. That name, Yelda. That sounds a little bit funny. Why is that? Well, that's because he's from Denmark. He did not start playing football competitively in the United States until he was a sophomore in high school. A foreign exchange student who figured that playing football was a great way to connect with some new people. Well, he made a lot of new friends because he turned out to be pretty good at football. And he was actually one of the top offensive, uh, excuse me, off defensive tackle prospects in the country before switching to offensive line in college. From NCAA.com. Froholt can speak Danish, Danish and English. He used to speak some German, but it, quote, fell away over time with a little practice. He learned English around second grade with the help of his mother, Lisa, who is from New Zealand. So score, score all those things. A multilingual former foreign exchange student who has played defensive tackle while in high school was scouted that way coming out of high school. Switched to offensive line. Can play guard and tackle. Didn't mention that earlier. Um... And is still sort of figuring out what it's like to, one, be an American and two, be a football player. And he might just fit what the Packers need. I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know if he can play a lick, but it's hard to not be intrigued by a story like that. And I think that's a perfect fit for the wild card sort of slot in our little evaluation here. Will the Packers go offensive line? I think they almost have to at some point. Will it be one of these guys? Maybe, probably not. I am, again... Not super great on the offensive line type stuff, which is why I wanted to do it early so we could just get to the stuff where I feel a little bit more comfortable as we build towards the draft. And I'm not super convinced the Packers are going to take one early, like I said. But these are still some guys that are worth being aware of, and hopefully this has helped us get a little bit more of a cross-section of this position group as we prepare for the draft, now less than a month away. So I've got for you on this episode. Thanks for listening, for downloading, for taking the time to interact with us a little bit. I do appreciate it very much. If you liked what you have heard and want to help us keep it going, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, best way to do so is to head to the patreon.com slash thepowersweep and donate $1 per month. That offsets our hosting fees and helps us do some stuff at thepowersweep.com as well. And don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you want to say hi, have a question, give us a shout out or whatever, reach out at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or on Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. And every bit of feedback, every question, every thought that you provide to us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better. 
which furthers our mission of helping everybody to become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.